I have not always been obedient in my tithing. I had a client who also went to church with me, and a lot of times we think, well, it's for the church, and it's for this, and it's for that. And he said to me, the first check that I write every week is to God. My name is Patty Wheeler. I've been attending Emmanuel for two years. Um, my daughter, Bree, and I moved to Greenwood three years ago. Um, we went to be closer to family and we ended up taking a job transfer um, with a company that I've been with for over 26 years. The transfer uh, meant to take on a new position, which for the first two years went absolutely amazing. Um, this year has been a huge struggle. The stress had gotten so bad at work that um, I started having panic attacks. So I was put on medical leave. I think that I needed that time out to figure out who I am and what I need to do in life. During the time of leave, uh, Bree and I had talked about we had to be very frugal, we couldn't eat out, that we had to be very careful with our money. And it was during that time that I was uh, a new um, small group leader and Danny had came and talked to the leaders about leading and giving and taking care of the um, campuses and the multi-sites so that we continue to grow and continue to bring people to Christ. And uh, sitting in um, church, I was writing out my check for tithing and Bree leaned over and said, what are you doing? We can't spend money. And I said, we'll talk about this when we leave. And then Danny had asked for those to come forward and, and make that promise to give for the next year. And I just really felt God tugging at my heart. And I said, I, I just, I don't know, but I'm gonna trust you. So I wrote out the check, I walked it up front, and I came back, and uh, when we left, I had explained to Bree that what we have isn't ours, it all belongs to God, and that by being faithful and tithing, he'll take care of us. Um, the following week after making that um, step to be obedient, I got a call. Um, I interviewed with one bank at the job, um, and it has everything that I've been missing. God is just so amazing, and when we obey and we do what He's asked us to do, we are greatly rewarded. And what a great thing for me to be able to share with my teenager. As a single mom, I was scared. I knew God would take care of me, but I was scared. And to be able just to do what He asked me to do, and then within moments, you know, within a week, to have a job that is my dream job again. I think that I was faithful in tithing to Emmanuel and in obeying so that we can have the multi-site campus, so that we can bring more and more people to God, that God just really blessed me. Isn't that an awesome story? Love that. Hey, if you're a guest with us here today, my name is Danny, and we are in a series right now called Generosity. This is the second week of our brand new series. We have one more week next week, and then we'll enter into our, our Christmas time of the year. Isn't that a fun time, holiday season? 
Um, hey, really quick, uh, just want to share one more story with you. Uh, a couple, couple of months ago, actually pro- probably about a month ago, we did a series called Unsearchable. And in that series, we talked about how uh, we're trying to raise money to, to build a permanent site for our Franklin campus, which now meets in a middle school. So right now there are services going on in the Franklin Middle School. There's about 250 adults there or so with, the, with some kids there. And so a lot, of, a lot of cool stuff going on over there. And so we're trying to raise money to build a permanent site for them. And I kind of laid out a challenge to all of us that over the next year, let's try to raise about $2 million so we can build a permanent site for them. And, and uh, I got an email shortly after that uh, series from a, a lady whose, whose son, over the last two years, has been saving 10% of everything that he has earned, whether it be Christmas presents or birthday presents. And he's got a, a, a snow shoveling business, and he also sells uh, alarm systems, which for a 14-year-old kid, I thought, man, this kid's pretty industrious. His name is Grant, and she sent me this email. She said he would like to give his, his tithe, his 10%, to the multi-site purpose fund. And she sent me this picture. This is a picture of Grant here. And that is, uh, that's Grant. He's now a freshman at, uh, at Center Grove. Some of you may know Grant. He ran cross country for Center Grove. And 10% of all of his earnings for two years is $187. And Grant gave all of that money to our multi-site campus. Grant is my new hero. Love that kid, and uh, he's going to be somebody's boss one day. He's definitely going to lead, lead something. Uh, but yeah, so we're talking about generosity. I love, I love this series. It's a great time of the year to talk about generosity. What we said last week is that all of us would probably say, I should probably be a little bit more generous, and, and it's something that I desire to do, and it's something that I should do. But when it comes down to actually being generous, like when the rubber meets the road, we struggle. It's a little bit challenging. The average a Christian only gives 3% of their income to the church or to other, other uh, charities. The, the, uh, only 12% of born-again Christians return the tithe and do what Grant just did, which is to take 10% of everything you earn, all your profits, and bring it back to the local church. Only 12% of born-again Christians do that. And, and one of the problems is that many of us leave our generosity or we leave our giving up to our emotions. We, 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 we take more of a reactive approach instead of a proactive approach. We, more, we respond more than we do uh, take the initiative. A lot of us are like this person. I was, I was reading a blog on, on generosity, and one of the comments beneath the blog, maybe you relate to this person. A lot of us handle our generosity this way. This person said, I donate when I move to do so. When emotion grips me, perhaps I see a sad documentary or or I watch a disabled person on the street and watch this, and I feel an urge to do something. Now, I'm not suggesting that this person is incorrect or wrong. I'm not judging this person. In fact, I think this is a good thing. Do you agree? Yes? I mean, this is not a bad thing. I'm just, I'm just saying that, that this is not the, bi- the biblical way to approach generosity. This is a passive, this is a responsive type of generosity that when we see a need, maybe there's an earthquake, maybe something happened in another country, maybe something happened in this country, and because we're gripped, because we feel sad, because there's an emotional response, we get out our checkbook and we write a check. And that's okay. It's just not biblical generosity. Biblical generosity has much less to do with emotion. It's more strategic. 
It's not, it's not so much focused on how I feel. It's more about taking initiative and saying, I'm going to budget this. I'm going to plan for this. I'm going to get ahead of the curve. I'm not going to wait for something to happen. I'm going to get on the, on, the, on the front side of this, and I'm just going to make this part of a lifestyle. This is going to be the way that I live. I'm not going to wait until I feel moved or until I feel gripped by some emotional need. And that's why a lot of us struggle, because we, we're, more, we're more responsive, we're more reactive than we are proactive. And so the average Christian only ends up giving away 3% of their income. So what, in this series, what I want to do is kind of stretch your capacity. I want to provide some coaching on this issue for you when it comes to generosity, because I believe you want to be more generous, and I believe that you should be, I believe you believe you should be more generous. So let's jump into this. We want to talk about a big idea today. Here's the big idea, ready? That God wants you to be excellent at generosity. God desires, I believe it's God's will for you to excel or to be excellent at this thing called generosity. I want to look at a passage in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where the apostle Paul is actually writing to the Corinthians and he's encouraging them to do the very thing that I'm going to encourage you to do today, which is to excel in this area of generosity. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says to that to these people in Corinth, he says, "Since you excel, and this word excel means to go way beyond, to go way above average, to overflow, to abound, right? Since you excel in so many ways, and then he lists a few. Watch this. He says, in your faith, your gifted speakers, in your knowledge, in your enthusiasm, which I love that, and in your love from us, since you're good at all these other things, really good at all these other things, watch what he says here. I want you also to excel, or I want you to excel also in this gracious act of of giving. Paul is simply saying, listen, you're doing great here. You're doing great here. You're doing great here. You're doing great here. Don't forget to be really good. Don't forget to excel also in your generosity. I don't want you to be average. I don't want you to be a C player. I want you to be an A player. I want you to be a division one player. I want you to make it to the pros when it comes to this issue of generosity. You with me? Yes or no? You feeling it? The other night I was, uh, I was at the Pacer game, Monday night. You know who they played Monday night? Some of you know. who they play Monday night? The Golden State Warriors. That's right. KD came into town. Stephen Curry came into town. Clay Thompson came into town. I have a friend who's very generous, and he has some tickets, and he couldn't use them, so he called me. They're in the third row. Third row. I said, I'm going to have to suffer for Jesus' sake, and I'm going to have to take these tickets off your hands. I will be the one. So I took a friend of mine, we went down there, third row seats, and we got there early, because when you get there early, you can kind of see what's going on, and see the guys warm up, so we get there early, and, and when you're sitting down that low, you can actually walk on the court a little bit, and you can kind of go get a drink or a hot dog or something, and you can get really close to the players. They were huge, like I'm 6'4", so these guys are like six, I mean huge, huge human beings, so I was kind of stunned by that, I haven't seen people that big in a while, but anyway, so, so I, I, sure enough, I'm walking down the court, and, and all of a sudden, you know, they're doing their warm-up layups and all that stuff, KD runs right by me, some of you are like, who's KD? Kevin Durant, get a clue, get a clue, okay? He runs right by me, and when I see Kevin run right by me, you know, I did what you probably would do. I raised up my hand. I said, KD, <laughs> and I raised my hand up, and he gave me a, he looked me up and down. I was wearing a cardigan. He probably thought I looked like Mr. Rogers, and he thought I was safe. He thought I was a safe guy, so he put his hand up, and he smacked my hand, 
and I have not washed my hand in, <laughs> since Monday night. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, that's just, uh, that has nothing to do with my sermon whatsoever. But here, here's the connection. Some of you are like, why are you telling the story? Here's the connection. Because when we finally sat down to, the, to watch the game, I'm a basketball. I love basketball. I love to watch it. I appreciate the game. I know how difficult the game can be. Uh, I'm sitting there watching these guys, whether it's Clay Thompson or Stephen Curry or whoever, uh, KD, and they are doing some of the most amazing things with the basketball that, that the human eye can see. Like, these are the best. These guys excel at their jobs. They're not just average basketball NBA players. They are excellent NBA players. NBA basketball players. These guys are dream teamers. These guys are all-stars. These guys abound in skill. And I was just sitting there and I was so appreciating the, the, the shooting three-pointers off the, off the dribble and coming off screens and all the, all the banging and all the, it's so, such a tough game. And they were making it look so easy. And, and, and they blew the Pacers out. I think it was a 35-point game in the third quarter. When I saw Kevin Durant take off his shoes before the fourth quarter started, we left. But we didn't have Paul George. Anyway, 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 he was, he's hurt. So what, what am I saying today? Here's what I'm saying. That in the same way that those guys excel at what they do, God wants you to excel in this area of generosity. He wants you to be an all-star. He wants you to be an A player. He wants you to be division one. He wants you to go pro in this area of giving. He didn't want you to be average. And there's a lot of us who are currently average in this area of generosity. Now, if you know anything about athletes or Olympic athletes or people who make it to that level in their particular sport or in any other area of life, you know that there are certain things that they have to get rid of in order to make it to that level. Do you agree with this? You agree? I mean, everybody knows uh, somebody who performs at a very high level, and there's things that they've had to strip off or get rid of, get out of their life in order to excel at that very high level. I'll give you an example. Uh, you've probably met an athlete before that had a terrible attitude, a chip on their shoulder. And because they had a chip on their shoulder, even though had, they had tremendous skill, they didn't make it to the top. Am I right? Because they couldn't get rid of their terrible attitude, couldn't take direction from their coaches, didn't want to follow orders. And then you know some other athletes that were able to get rid of that attitude. They stripped it off and they were able to go to a higher level. Some athletes needed to get rid of some friends. They had some friends like, oh, come on, come, let's go party on Friday night. Let's go drink. Let's do, let's do drugs, right? And they had to get rid of those friends in order to go to the next level as an athlete. Or maybe they had to get rid of some bad habits. Maybe it was too much pizza. Maybe it was too much sleep, too much, too much sleep or whatever. And they had to get rid of some bad habits in order to excel at the next level. I'm telling you what, if you and I want to excel and be great at giving, we're going to have to get rid of some things. We're going to talk about three things we're going to get rid of in order, that, in order to become excellent at this thing called generosity. You with me? Number one, let's talk about it. Number one, we're going to have to get rid of greed. You want to be excellent at giving? You're going to have to get rid of greed, that nasty, dark thing that lurks in our hearts. Greed, what is greed? Greed is this desire for money, this desire for things, and more of it, and more of it. And here's what happens when a person is consumed by greed. Their hands close, and generosity becomes an impossibility. You hear me? Generosity becomes an impossibility because they're always grabbing for more. The only time their hands open up is to take in more, and then they shut again, and their hands cannot open to give to others. Greed, it's a nasty, dark thing. It consumes us. You say, well, I'm not that greedy. Well, let me read you something Gordon McDonald said, author and pastor. He said this. This is where greed comes from. Greed flows from the darkest part of our being that believes we never have enough. Have you ever felt that way? I just seem to never have enough. 
It comes from that place in our hearts where, where we say that, that money is the solution to all of our problems. If I could just get more money, then, I can, then all my problems would go away. Ever been there? And that place in our hearts that says wealth is the key to our personal value as a person, as, as people. That, that, that I'm nobody until I, until I attain more or, or, or make more money. That's where greed comes from. It's a dark thing in our hearts. It's a nasty thing in our hearts. Jesus knew it, it, it would destroy us. It would destroy generosity. It would even destroy our souls. So you know what he did? He addressed it head on. Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 15, the words of Christ. He said this, beware, guard against every kind of, say it with me, greed. Come on, a little bit more passionate. Get Guard against every kind of greed. Why? Why do I have to watch out? Why do I have to guard? Why do I have to protect my heart? Because there's a message out there, and the message is this, that your life, that your, your value comes from what you own. But Jesus says it's not true. Life is not measured by how much you own. It's not true. There is a gospel message out there today, and all the word gospel means is good news. There is a gospel message out there that's a lie, that says you are what you own. Your value is determined by how much money you have and how much stuff you have. It is not true. Jesus says, watch out, because if you believe that, you'll be consumed by greed. Listen to what King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Those who love money will never have enough. It's just a fact. They'll never have enough. Once you get a million dollars, it's not enough. Once you get two million, it's not enough. It's never enough. Ask somebody if they have a, who has a million dollars, are you rich? They say, no. When are you going to be rich? When I have two. Ask somebody who has $2 million, are you rich? They say, no, when are you going to be rich? When I have five. And then on and on and on. It's never enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. It is not true. In your notes there, the way I wrote it is this. Greed is one of the most destructive forces for a healthy spiritual life because it forces God out of his rightful place in our hearts. It pushes God out of his rightful place in our hearts. You see, only God can make you happy. Listen to me. It may be one of the most simplest things I've ever said to you, but it's one of the most profound things and powerful things I've ever said to you. Only God can make you happy. Only Jesus Christ can fill that void in your heart. Only God can answer the question of your worth or your value. Only Jesus can really speak to your identity. Money will never do it. Money will never make you happy. It'll never satisfy your desires. And that's what your soul was made for. Your soul was made to answer this question. Okay, where's my value? What is my worth? What is my identity? And if we don't get those answers from God, we're going to look to money and we're going to look to stuff. And that's when greed takes over our lives. This is why Jesus spoke so directly on this issue in Matthew chapter 6. Listen to what he said. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other. Watch this. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You can't take God and money and cram them into your soul. It breaks your soul down. It breaks the whole human system down because we're only made to worship one, not two. The greatest challenge to God in this world is not lust. It's not power. The greatest challenge to the throne of your heart is money and greed. That's something. We have a whole show on this in television called American Greed. Have you ever watched it? Oh, it's powerful. The desire for money and the desire for stuff causes many, many people to begin breaking the law and abusing people and cheating the system so that they can just get more and more and more. I'm telling you, when a greedy person is consumed with greed, their hands are closed. Generosity becomes an impossibility. Why? Because they need it. 
They needed to answer the question of their own value. They needed to answer the question of their own significance in their life. You know what the answer to greed is? It's very simple. Open up your hands and begin giving. When you free up your money, you become free from your money. That's how Andy Stanley said it. When you free up your money, when you open your hands, you become free from your money. See, if you and I want to be excellent at generosity, we've got to get rid of greed. We've got to leave it behind. Number two, we've got to get rid of debt. If you want to be excellent at generosity and excel and be an A player and be an all-star and all-pro or whatever, you have to get rid of debt. Now, I'm not against all debt. I live in a house. I have some debt. Anybody else live in a house? <laughs> you know, some of you might have your house paid off, and that's awesome for you. Most of us don't have our house paid off, so we have some debt. I'm not against all debt. I'm against consumer debt. I believe the Bible is against consumer debt. What's consumer debt? It's stuff that you buy that loses value. Have you, have you ever read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki? Great little book. He calls them liabilities. When you buy things that go down in value, and now you have all these payments, and you have MasterCard and Visa, and you've got student loans, and you've got car payments. This type of stuff chokes your financial life and makes generosity almost an impossibility. Why? Because your money is already obligated to other things. The average American, the average salary in America today is $48,500. of that, if we followed Grant's example, 14-year-old Grant, freshman at Center Grove High School, if we followed Grant's example, the tithe on a monthly basis would be $415 a month. $415 a month we would bring back to God. It belongs to him. That's what we would do. Guess what? The average car payment is $499 a month. The average student loan, you take a guess what it is. The average student loan in this country, $415 a month. The average credit card payment on a $4,000 balance is $189 a month. And if you only made that payment, and you didn't take on any more consumer debt, it would take you 10 years and one month to pay off. They got a good thing going, don't they? $189 a month. So when the pastor gets up or, or when someone gets up and says, man, would you, would you open up your hands to be generous? You would say, I would love to. I would love to jump on board. But I can't because I have to pay Visa. I have to pay MasterCard. I got to pay the student loan. Got to pay the car payment. Got to pay, got to pay, got to pay, got to pay. Listen to what the Bible says about that. Watch this, Proverbs chapter 22. The borrower, the one who borrowed the money with the credit card on Black Friday. <laughs> the one who did the, de- the deed, right? Guess what you are? You are a, say it with me, a slave. See, some of you didn't want to say it. Now say it with me again. Ready? A slave to who? To the lender. What does that mean? It just means you're not in charge anymore. It means you cannot call the shots and where the money can go. It means that you cannot be generous because someone else is telling you where to put your money. Visa, MasterCard, whoever. The borrower is the slave of the lender. So it chokes generosity. Consumer debt chokes it. makes it very difficult for you to open your hands and to be generous. Now, thankfully, you can get out of debt. There are tools today that are so helpful. One is called the Debt Snowball, and, and, and the, I have a video for you for you to watch when you go home today. It's in, the, the name of the video is actually in your notes. It's called the Debt Snowball by Craig Rochelle and Dave Ramsey, and Craig kind of put this together. It's a six-minute, 48-second video, and he shows you in, in 21 months or less on how to get out of debt if you stop spending, if you stop incurring more debt right now. You can get out of debt in 21 months months. He shows you exactly how to do that. You can go watch that on YouTube when you get home. 
You can get out of debt so that you can become more generous. That's how you become excellent at giving. Number three, you have to get rid of self-reliance. Not only do we have to get rid of greed and debt, we have to get rid of self-reliance. What am I talking about? The Christian life, the spiritual life, is a life of dependence upon God. The problem is we always go back to relying upon ourselves. When the children of Israel were in the desert for 40 years, guess what they had to do? They had to rely upon God for what? What fell from heaven every single day? What was it called? Manna. They didn't have crops. They weren't planting. They weren't reaping. They weren't harvesting. Nothing. They were literally for 40 years were dependent upon God to survive. And then when they went into the promised land... (laughs) And they received all these vineyards and all these farms and all this, you know, the Bible says that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. All that simply means is there was lots of vegetation, lots of fruit, lots of grapes, lots of vegetables. They were t- the temptation was to start to rely upon themselves. So God gives them a warning in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Listen to this. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and, my, and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Watch out, he says, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. Don't forget, guys, don't think to yourself for a moment that you did anything to inherit all of this land and all these crops and all this beautiful, you know, luxurious or luscious, you know, farmland. Don't think for a second that you did it by yourself. I'm the one who gave this land to you. See, the tendency for you, the tendency for me, the tendency for them is to start to think, well, I did this. We tend to forget that God gave us the brain. We tend to forget that God gave us the giftings that we have to be able to make money. The hands, the mind, the eyes, the body, to be able to do what we do. We start to think that we pulled ourselves up by our bootstraps, and we start to think that we are the real deal. God says, no, 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 don't be weird. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because you're made and designed to rely upon me. So what does God do? He gives his children uh, the principle of the tithe. He gives his ch- the children of Israel, and I believe us today, as a standard, not as a law, but as a guide and a standard to live by, he gives them the tithe. You say, what's the tithe? In Le- Leviticus chapter 27, watch this. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether of grain of the fields or fruit of the trees, watch this, belongs to the Lord, and you must set it apart to him, for him, as holy. God says, here's what I want you to do. In order for you to to never forget that I'm the source of all of your blessings, I want you to take one-tenth of all of your profits every single week, and whenever you get paid, I want you to set it apart. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. Set it apart as holy. Return the tithe back to me. You say, well, what's that look like? Well, today, as I said, it is a good standard for us. If you make $10, uh, basically, this this is pretty simple. If you make $10, here's $10. God says, you can keep nine for yourself, but one-tenth, I want you to, to bring back to me. Does that make sense? Yes? That makes sense? That's pretty simple, right? Now, with, with smaller dollars, that, that's pretty easy, because what could you really buy for a dollar? Nothing, really, right? So, I don't know. Popsicle? Probably not even a popsicle today. But then it gets a little confusing when the dollars get a little bit bigger, but I assure you, it's not any more confusing. The same principle applies. applies. So, if you make $100, here's 10 100s, God simply says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you keep 90. I just want you to return one-tenth of, of your profit, whatever your business earns, whatever you make that year, whatever your salary is, return one-tenth of it back to me. Remember, he's trying to get them to not rely upon themselves, but to acknowledge God as the giver of the hundred. 
He gives all of the money. He just says, I want, I want a tenth back just so you don't think that you're all on your own. You don't think that you're God. And so it works the same way with tens. And, and what's interesting is that when the zeros get bigger, it seems to get more confusing. But I assure you, <laughs> I'm, listen, trust me. I'm your pastor. Trust me. It's not more confusing. It may be more difficult, not more confusing. So when the numbers get bigger, watch what happens. It's amazing. God says, oh, now you made $1,000. I gave you $1,000. This is my most expensive prop of the year. God says, you can keep 900. You can. You can do 900. Just return a tenth back to me. See, it's not, it's the, 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 the only thing that changes are the zeros, but it's not confusing. Does that make sense? He just says, bring one-tenth back to me. And, I want you, and, and the reason I'm going to do that is so that you will trust in me. Do you hear, do you hear about the guy who, who came to his pastor and he said, Pastor, you know, years ago when I was making $50,000 a year, I could write that $5,000 check. It was no big deal, and it was a joy to do that. I, I really, you know, it was... It was something that I delighted in. But man, business has taken off, and now my business, I'm, 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 I'm pulling in like $500,000 a year. It's amazing how much I've been blessed. And, and now I'm looking at 10%. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm adding it up. That's like $50,000. I'm really struggling to write the church a check for $50,000. Would you pray for me? I mean, do you think that God might accept 10, maybe 15? I mean, that's still a lot of money. Isn't it, Pastor, 10? In 15,000, that's a lot of money. Would you pray for me? The pastor says, absolutely, I'll pray for you. So he puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, Lord Jesus, I come to you right now on behalf of my brother. And I pray that you would radically reduce his salary. (laughs) I mean, radically reduce his salary to the extent that he once again feels comfortable giving his 10% back to the church. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. (laughs) I'm not, I tell you that story. Actually, someone in my small group actually wrote that joke. I thought it was great. Anyway, tickled me. It's amazing that when the, when the zeros get bigger, we tend to think it's, it's, it's more confusing. It's not more confusing. It's just, it's, it's just 10%. It's just 10%. Now, I want to be careful here real quick because I know some of you are a bit uncomfortable because you maybe thought and you had maybe some misconceptions or, or, or prejudgments that churches just want your money, and here's another pastor up here and saying, you know, give me your money, give me your money, and some of you want to leave right now, and you're squirming, and you can't wait for this thing to be over. Some of you didn't invite, didn't invite your friends because you know I was going to talk about this, and you didn't want them to hear this, and me, Pastor Danny, to run them off from church, and I, and I, I just want to speak to that really quick. Tithing even though it has practical, pragmatic benefits for the church, like stuff gets done, like kids eat downtown, but we're going to pack boxes this afternoon. We spent thousands of dollars to feed these kids downtown. It's like stuff costs money, and there's practical benefits to the tithe, okay? But, he, but I want to go beyond that. I want to say this to you, for those of you who think the church just wants your money. Tithing is for you. It's primarily for you. It's for your heart. It's for you to trust 
in God. It is a faith builder. In, in other words, there, there probably is no more tangible way for you to express your faith than to tithe. In other words, if you want to grow your faith in God, people come to say, I want more faith. You know what I should say to them? And I, I'll say it right now. Start tithing because it's an issue of trust. You saw it in the video, in Patty's video when we first started this. There's an issue. Oh, man, a single mom, not sure about the job situation. What should we do? I'm, I'm afraid. And she started to tithe. It's an issue of trust. It's an issue of faith. It is a faith builder. It draws you into God. It causes you to say, God, I don't know what's going to happen. On paper, it doesn't really look like it's going to work out, but I trust you. I'm relying upon you. The tithe is for you. In the Old Testament, there's a group of Israelites that decided to stop tithing. They said, we're done with this. And God had a bone to pick with them. He got pretty upset. He says to them, you guys have been stealing from me in Malachi chapter 3. He says, you guys have been stealing from me. Listen to what they say in Malachi 3. But you ask, what do you mean? Where did we ever steal from you? Where did we ever cheat from you? Listen to God's answers. You, he answers, you cheated me of the tithes and the offerings that were due to me. You stole from me. And because of that, I'm pretty upset. Listen to what he says. He gets pretty serious. He says, now that you stole from me, you're under a curse. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be under a curse. Anybody wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, if you could just curse me today, it would be a great day. <laughs> no. In fact, I pray the opposite. Psalm 119, verse 58. You might want to write that down. Psalm 119, verse 58 says this. I entreat your favor with all of my heart. In the New Living Translation, it says, every single day, I want your blessing with all my heart. God blessed me. I don't, want, I don't want to be cursed. Do you want to be cursed? No, I want God's blessing. God says, you, when you steal from me, you are cursed. The whole nation is, is cheating me. Watch this. Here's the answer. What do we do? Bring all of the tithes into the church, into the storehouse, so that there will be enough food in my temple. There are pragmatic benefits to the tithe. The priests didn't have a job. They had to take care of the temple, right? And it takes money to do that stuff. But more importantly, the curse is lifted. Bring in the tithe. That's how you reverse this whole thing. You know, I'm a person that doesn't do a lot of fixing up in my house, so I don't have many tools. So I borrow a lot of tools from friends and, and my father-in-law. And so when I, after I borrow something, here's what they'll call me up, or they'll text me and they'll say, hey, can you bring my hammer back? <laughs> and of course I say what? Sure. Why do I say sure? Because it doesn't belong to me. <laughs> right? It's a pretty simple idea. Listen to the word right here. Watch this. Bring all of the tithes back. To which we should say, sure. But a lot of us are saying, no. A lot of us are like, are you crazy? That's $415 a month. That's nuts. I can't do that. Jesus says, bring it back. You're stealing from me. Now, remember a moment ago I said, this is for you? <laughs> Some of you are not convinced. Watch what he says next. After you bring back what belongs to God. Watch this. If you do, as a result, as a consequence, after you bring back what belongs to me, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a, say it with me, a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. I will, in other words, I will bless your socks off. I will, I will open up heaven and I will send down the rain and you will not have enough, you will not have a room to catch all of the blessings. Some of you are like saying, I, I, you're crazy. I can't bring $415 a month to the church. That's crazy. You're crazy not to. Like, are you, you're giving up God's blessing. 
By not returning the tithe. The other day I asked my son for a bite of his donut. He was about done with his donut. And all I wanted was a bite because I'm not a big fan of donuts. You know what I'm saying? They tend to leave a mark on you. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But I just wanted a bite. It was probably less than a tenth. And you know what my son said to me? No. <laughs> and he ate the whole thing. The whole donut. And all daddy wanted was a tenth. Have you ever done this with your kids? Blows me and blows my mind. And what I wanted to say to him is like, dude, if you'd have given me that bite, listen, daddy could have gone to Long's Donuts, daddy could have went to Dunkin' Donuts, daddy could have went and gotten so many boxes of donuts, I could have filled your room wall to wall and floor to ceiling with donuts, and you didn't give me a bite? Are you sick? Do you feel, do you feel me? Here's what God is saying. You are sick by not bringing the tide back because I can fill your life with donuts. <laughs> I'm being funny, but this is, this is serious. You have forfeited the blessing of God because you're saying, you're saying to yourself, oh my gosh, 10%? I mean, 90 is good, but, but 100 looks better. And you're missing the point. You're missing the point completely. So what does God say? Well, he's going to push us. See, you might come to church and think, I push you. I don't push you. God pushes you. Watch this. Try me. Try it. Go forward. Do it. Move forward. Put me to the test. Actually take 10% and give it back and bring it back. And watch what happens? You know what? There's no other place in the entire Bible. I've read it cover to cover many, 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 many times. There is no other place in the Bible where God says, try me out. Let's run a test. Let's run a little experiment. You bring the tithe back and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and bless your life. My wife and I have been doing this for 15 years, probably longer, probably as long as we've been married, close to it. And we're not rich monetarily. We're not. But we are so favored. Here's, a, here's, here's what's crazy. We like each other. Not kidding. Like, we, we go on vacation without the children every year. And we can't wait to just be like us. You know what I'm talking about? Like, best buds, best friends. It's not, the blessing is not always monetary. There's other ways that God blesses your life because you're obedient when you bring the tithe back. Listen to what God says. If you do this, guys, he says, your crops will be abundant. <laughs> For I will guard them against insects and disease. I'll guard your business. Here's what he's talking about, business people. I will guard your business against some insects and disease. And does anybody have any insects and disease in their business? <laughs> Does anybody have any insects, creepy, crawly things in their marriage? Ooh. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. God says, when you do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guard your business, guard your life, guard your marriage. He says, your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now watch this. He says, then all of the nations, all of the surrounding people, they're going to see, they're going to witness, and here's what they're going to say. They're going to say, you are, say it with me, you are blessed. They're going to notice there's something different about your life. They're going to notice a brightness. They're going to notice a joy. They're going to notice an excitement. They're going to notice some abundance. They're going to say, there's something different about your life. What's going on? You're blessed if you bring back the tithe, for your land will be such a delight. 
This is for you. This is for you. See, my wife and I and many of us are convinced about what Tony Evans said, and I love what Tony Evans said. He wrote a little equation. I hope you never forget it. He said 100% is less than 90% plus God. So if you're sitting there going, I ain't doing it. Because I know, I know you. I know you because I've been there. I heard, I've heard preachers before, and they're trying to get me to do something. I just sit there and go, uh-uh. Uh-uh, not doing it. And you're saying, I'm not doing it. I'm here. I'm just, I, just ne- I never want you to forget this. A hundred percent. You keep it all. It's all yours, right? You believe, and it's not yours, but you believe it is, so you put it all in your pocket. It's less than 90% plus God, I promise you. I can't even explain it. It's, it's a supernatural thing. I, I, I wish I could explain it. I cannot. But I'm just telling you it's true. You try to keep 100% of your money, you will always have less than 90% plus God. Now, I've done my very, very best to, to convince you of this with God's power and God's strength. Not so that I could get something from you, but so that God could bless your life. And you can become an excellent giver. You can become excellent at generosity. You got to get rid of greed. You got to get rid of stupid debt. And you got to get rid of this thing called self-reliance. You got to start trusting God. Now, you're responsible with that information. I did my job. My job is like the preacher. It's like spill out, try to spit out some truth. You have to take what I said today and go wrestle with it. I hope you will. And I hope that you'll land where many of us have already landed on this equation right here. Let me wrap up by saying this. A few moments ago, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, in the same way that you excel in faith and you excel in enthusiasm and you excel at loving others and you excel, 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 excel in the grace of giving, right? Be good at generosity. Verse 9, I'll skip verse 8, I'll go to verse 9. Watch what Paul, Paul brings Jesus into the equation. And this is what he says. For you know the, say it with me, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying this is the way Jesus lived his life. He was the most excellent giver ever in the universe. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, pause, what does that mean? He lived in heaven. Though he lived at the right hand of God, he dwelled in heaven as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Though he was rich, watch what he did, watch what he did. Yet for your sake, for my sake, for the sake of every human being in the world, he became poor. He descended from heaven, came down to this earth. Why? So that through his poverty, through his death on the cross, through the humiliation that he suffered and endured by allowing himself to be nailed to a cross, that poverty, you and I could be made rich. Not monetarily, folks. Not with cash. Not so that Jesus didn't go to the cross so that he can fill our pockets with money. No, no, no. That's not the type of rich I'm talking about. I'm talking about real life. Eternal life. Abundant life. Life filled with meaning and purpose and joy. Life filled with love. Every single day. Real, abundant life. That's why Christ went to the cross. To give that life to you. Some of you have said no to that offer. Maybe today you say yes. Maybe today for the first time you saw, oh my gosh, he did that for me? 
He gave his life. He laid down his life on the cross. He suffered and died. Three days later, he rose again, conquering sin and death so that I could be made rich. I want in on that. I think you're crazy not to get in. When I first heard the gospel and I first understood what God did for me, it was like a no-brainer. It was like, why wouldn't I opt in on that? What are my other options? To be an atheist, to be an agnostic, to, to, to become a Muslim or a Hindu or something else like that? What are my other options? And I thought that there's nothing better on earth. I want to be rich in eternal life. And so when I was 17 years old, I just trusted Christ. I did the best I could with a prayer, and I said, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, if you died for me, if you rose again to pay for my sin, to wash away the guilt, I was a complete idiot. I needed a lot of forgiveness. I, I, I'm trusting you right now. And when I was 17, I put my faith in Christ. Maybe today, maybe right now, you decide to do that. I would encourage you. Say, how do I do that? Well, you, you just reach out in confidence. You reach out in faith, and you ask Christ to forgive your sins. It's very simple. So I don't know how to pray. Listen, I'll pray for you. You can take my words and make them your own, and you put your faith in Christ today, and you can become his child. You can be, become rich because he became poor for your sake. If you'd like to do that right now, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. And in this very holy, sacred moment designed for you, reach out in faith right now. You're not joining a religion. You're not joining a church. You are putting your faith in Christ. You're becoming a child of God. Say this to him right now. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for becoming poor. Thank you for descending to this earth to die on a cross for me, to wash away all my sin, my shame, my guilt. I trust you today be my Savior. I put my confidence in you. Make me your child today. I believe in you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, first of all, we want to rejoice with you, don't we? We want to rejoice with you. It's the best decision you'll ever make. Before you leave, before you leave, our church would like to show you a little generosity. We want to give you a free, it's, it's, it's free, it's not cheap. It, we want to give you a free one-year New Testament if you just prayed to receive Christ. If you prayed to receive Christ last week and you didn't grab one of these Bibles, if you're in the balcony, if you're down here, in fact, even if you're watching through our app or through video uh, or, or through the website and you prayed that prayer, you can send us an email. We'll send you one of these Bibles for free. They're in the, the back of the tables for those of you who are in the room today. You can leave on your way out. Tell those folks you prayed to receive Christ and they'll put one of these in your hands because we believe we believe the primary way, listen, the primary way that God speaks to us, the primary way that he shapes our souls, the primary way that he grows us up spiritually is through the word of God. So can we give God another hand today for what he's done? You want to be excellent at generosity? You want to do that? Let's get rid of greed. Let's get rid of the debt. Let's get rid of the self-reliance. and Let's step in. Let's become excellent at this thing called grace of giving. And I know once, he, once we do that, God is going to bless your life. And also pragmatically, practically, many, many other people are going to be blessed in this community and throughout the world. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we love you. You are the one desire of our hearts. We follow your example in generosity. You are the most generous person who's ever lived. You are the most generous being in the universe. You gave your very own life for us. Help us to follow your example today. 
and to live open-handedly. God, I know that you'll bless us for that and many other people will be blessed by that. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Love you. See you next week for week number three of generosity.